You know, when you see these movies where someone's taken this experimental drug and their mind expands, it was like that. It was like a switch went off in my head and I went, wow, I have been holding myself back my whole life. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Tyson Franklin. I graduated as a podiatrist in 1988, which is a lifetime ago. In that lifetime, Tyson has had a lot of experience when it comes to podiatry practices. Opened, relocated, took over, sold, yeah, more than 20 podiatry businesses. At one stage, had five clinics running that were about 1,800 kilometres apart, which is about 1,200 miles. To be able to do that, you have to have good systems in place to make sure things are running because you can't be in five places at once. While solid systems are an unavoidable necessity for running multiple brick and mortar clinics like the ones Tyson ran, they're also an essential part of building and especially scaling any successful business. Even so, many business owners, especially if you're the creative, visionary, big picture type, resist systems for a long time. Tyson himself only became a systems convert after a hand injury only a couple of years into his career meant that he couldn't effectively treat patients himself. As a result, he had to get really good at structuring his business so that it could still make money even if he wasn't the one doing the actual work, which is what many of us are looking to build with our businesses. In this episode, Tyson busts some systems myths. Systems are not there to control people. They're not there to make people robots. A system is in place so that you can get a predictable outcome. And shares the two categories of systems that every wellness business needs. When I explain systems to people, I go, there's two parts like A and B, and it's all got to do with the patient journey. The initial systems are everything leading up to the patient seeing the practitioner. Then the next lot of systems are all the things that happen once they're seeing the practitioner. We also talk about how to create an effective content strategy for your wellness business and why it's probably not what you think. You need to come up with an angle. You need to come up with something that may or may not be related to your profession, but something that patients can connect with on an emotional level that makes them want to stay in touch with you. Finally, Tyson shares the very first thing he would do if he were opening up a new brick and mortar practice today. If I was opening a podiatry clinic tomorrow, I would have a podcast in my local area sponsored by my business, talking about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Since selling his last podiatry clinic in 2016, Tyson has been providing business and marketing coaching for podiatrists, written a couple of books, and hosts his Podiatry Legends podcast. Needless to say, he's had a lot of success in the world of podiatry. But his current success would have seemed unlikely 20 years earlier, when at 30 years old, he found himself bankrupt, divorced, and living in the back room of his podiatry clinic. I don't know about you, but that seemed to me like a pretty good place to start the conversation with Tyson. What's really funny is when I was 12, my parents said to me, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be a millionaire. And my parents said, oh, hang on, hang on. We're not millionaires. What makes you think that you can be a millionaire? And I said, oh, that's easy. I'm smarter than you. So <laughs> my mum said to me, she got me a piece of paper and a pen and made me write it down. Dear mum and dad, when I'm 30, I'll be retired and a millionaire. I gave it to it. I never gave it another thought. Anyway, at 30, I was divorced, bankrupt, <laughs> and, and I had no money to my name. And all that came about by yeah, a couple of bad business decisions, which isn't what sent me into bankruptcy. It got involved in a family court case over a will, my grandmother's will, long, dirty story, and my brother and I lost. 
And we thought, okay, we can afford to pay our legal bills, but then all of a sudden we got lumped with the other side's legal bills. And I just went, I can't do it. So I just had to pull the pin. So anyway, it was also my birthday around the same time. So awesome. It's my birthday. I've just hit 30. I'm bankrupt. I'm divorced. Life is great. So I'm going to go home for a couple of days. Mum will make me feel better. Don't know what I was thinking. So went down there, saw mum, and yeah, love my mum, of course. But all of a sudden she goes, oh, I've got something for you. I said, oh, what do you got? So she hands me this piece of paper. And it's the note I wrote to mum when I was 12. And she said, so how close are you? And I, oh, but it was the kick in the guts that I needed. And was my mum doing it to motivate me? No, she was doing it to be funny because I think she'd been holding on to it for 18 years just waiting to actually <laughs> give it to me. And I wish I'd kept it. I think I screwed up and threw it in the bin that day because I was so angry. But hindsight now, oh, I really wish I had hung on to that piece of paper. I came back to Cairns. I'd already met somebody else. It's amazing what can turn around when you meet the right person, when you have the same beliefs and values. I was not lazy. I was always prepared to work. I'd learnt a lot from all the mistakes I'd made. And pretty much four and a half years later, I'd gone from being bankrupt and divorced to owning my own home, owning my cars, owning my practice, and financially in a really, really good position. And it was just, it doesn't take a long time to turn things around. I think when you know why you're doing it, it wasn't just about making money, it was about creating a lifestyle and, and doing something that I enjoyed. And I had a partner that I loved that just made my life so much easier too. Tyson attributes a lot of both his early struggles as well as his later successes to his marriages. As you heard, his first marriage ended in divorce, whereas after his second marriage, things started to flow a whole lot more naturally in every area of his life. And I think this is worth digging into. For most of us, our businesses permeate and influence nearly every aspect of our lives, including our relationships with our partners. But the influence works both ways. Building a business is a long, slow, challenging endeavor. And not everyone is willing or able to offer the emotional support and patience that we as entrepreneurs often need in order to keep showing up and putting in the work, even when, or maybe especially when, tangible results are slow to materialize. The wrong partner can feel like a drag or weight on our businesses, whereas the right partner can actually help us move faster than we'd be able to on our own. Relationships are obviously a sensitive and personal topic, and as such, don't get talked about all that much in the context of our businesses but with their massive potential both to completely derail us or help us step into our very highest potential with the work we do and every other area of our lives, they're worth some careful thought and consideration. So I'm glad Tyson brought it up. While personal relationships definitely played a big role in turning things around for his business, he was also doing a lot of work to level up his mindset, attending workshops, conferences, and live events, continually seeking to grow and improve. There was one live event in particular led by Brad Sugars, a business consultant and speaker, where Tyson had an epiphany that would change his life and his businesses going forward. It was a two-day business event. Up until then, my business was okay, but it wasn't nothing special. Towards the end of the second day, he said, I want everyone to write down a piece of paper, how much money you made this year. So write it down. He said, okay, now I want you to write down, what is your goal next year? Write it down. So write down our financial goal for the following year. And then all the things we're going to do what we were prepared to do to reach that financial goal. He said, okay, everyone have a look at it. Now add a zero. That's your new goal. 
and everybody in the room, there was over 50 people in the room, probably more. Everyone just went, <laughs> rumble, 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 rumble. Everyone sort of complained about it. And this is just ridiculous. And he goes, no, no, hey, stop for a sec. I know you all think you can't do it. He said, but if I had your family here right now, had everyone that you cared about, everyone that you loved, put them all in a room and we put a gun to their head and said, if you do not reach that new financial goal in the next 12 months, we're going to kill everybody. He goes, no, no, it sounds harsh. He said, but that's what we're going to do. Can you think of a couple more things you could add to that friggin' list to make more money? And all of a sudden they went, oh, well, yeah, I suppose I could do this and this and that, that. One thing, just you know, when you see these movies where someone's taken this experimental drug and their mind expands, it was like that. It was like a switch went off in my head and I went, wow, I have been holding myself back my whole life. I was like, yeah, you know, the, you've heard of the flea trainer, how you train fleas? You put a ceiling there and that when they hit it so many times and they won't jump any higher when you take the lid off. It was like someone had taken the lid off and my mind just went, oh, so when you think this is all you can do, when someone actually puts a gun to your head, you can actually come up with more. So why do I need a gun to do that? It was that one event that changed my life. That's a somewhat common exercise that a coach might take you through at some point. And of course, we can all write down like, oh, I could do this. I could yeah. do this. I could do this. You get out of the seminar, away from the conference, out of the workshop, and you kind of revert back to your old way of operating. What was different about it that time for you that you were like actually just took it and, and ran with it? Well, I think, yeah, I'd, like I'd heard similar things. Hey, write your goals down, add extra things, yeah, expand your thinking. And it was just like blah, 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 blah. It was You heard it, but you didn't hear it. And it was just that time, and maybe it just it was where I was in my life, I heard it for a change. I didn't just hear it, I heard it. And I realised, wow, I can do more than what I thought that I could do. And I don't know... Did I reach a new goal? Hell no, didn't get anywhere near it. But I did so much better than what I originally wrote down. And every year after that, my business just kept growing by 20%, 25%, 30%, 20%. Just every year, it just kept growing and it kept expanding. And then I just kept challenging myself. So I think the biggest thing, when people leave a seminar, this is the one thing that I've learned. You go to a seminar, it doesn't matter what it is, do not go back to work the next day. <laughs> just... If it's a, uh, a practical seminar, yeah, how to become a better podiatrist or a better dietitian, yes, go back to work the next day and start applying that stuff. But if it's business, mindset, coaching, and you go and spend a full day there, if you spend a full day, at least take the next half day off to sit down, go over your notes, pick three things that you're going to apply, and then just work towards them. Don't just go straight to work the next day because you will not get anything done. You'll go straight to work, I'll do that later, and you will not do anything. If it's a two-day event, take the whole day off to go over all the information. So what I do now, anytime I go to an event, whether it's in Australia or overseas, I do not come home straight away. I stay an extra day. I just block an extra day because I know I want to yeah, have a few drinks, celebrate with the people that we've just done the two-day event with. I would rather go to sleep when I feel like it, wake up when I feel like it. I've got that whole day to myself, sit down, pull up my notes, go and grab a coffee, might go down to a coffee shop, read through everything, and I'll get the flight late that night or earlier the next morning. And that whole day is my day to take in. I go to my diary, open it up, noting what are these three things I'm going to do, when am I going to apply them, and then it's just remind yourself that you did it. Remind yourself how much money you spent to go to the event. 
airfares, accommodation. If you don't apply what you just learnt, having knowledge and information is a waste if you're not actually going to use it. I absolutely love this advice from Tyson about spending that extra time after a conference or event to integrate everything that you've learned, let it really sink in, and then outline a small number of key goals going forward. There are a couple things I want to highlight about this idea. The first is the importance of really honing in on just a few goals to take action towards. So often, we leave an event buzzing with new information, ideas, and strategies we want to implement in our businesses immediately. More often than not, however, we fail to take meaningful action on them, either because we don't know where to start and get stuck in analysis paralysis, or we try to work on all of them at once, spreading ourselves too thin to move the needle toward any of our goals. Early on, when I first started attending conferences and events, a friend told me that they try and find just one meaningful takeaway from an event, and if they get that, it will have been worth it. Keeping your focus narrow not only allows you to actually take action on those small number of key takeaways, but also takes the pressure off the feeling of needing to learn everything at once. The second thing I wanted to mention is that while I've unintentionally used Tyson's strategy of taking extra time off after an event in the past, it hasn't always been the norm. More often than not, I've been in a rush to get back to work, especially if I've already taken time off to attend the event. And then the costs of the extra night in the Airbnb or hotel and all the other travel costs start to add up in my head. After talking to Tyson, however, I had to ask myself, what's the potential cost of not taking that extra time to integrate what I've learned and develop a plan around it? I don't think it's a leap to say that actually implementing just a few of the takeaways that any of us might have at an event could result in tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in increased profit over the span of a few years. Thinking about it that way really put things in perspective for me, and I'll definitely be scheduling in an extra day or two after events I attend going forward. As you heard in the intro, Tyson has had a lot of experience working inside a number of different podiatry practices, and that one of the things that allowed him to do that successfully was having effective systems. Over the past few years, I've become a huge systems nerd myself after seeing how they transformed my business. While I don't plan on selling my podcast agency, Counterweight Creative, anytime soon, maybe even ever, one of the best pieces of advice I got when it came to systems was to build the business as if I was going to sell it. I asked Tyson why this advice matters to small business owners like you and me. A business that has systems, protocols, frameworks, things in place that explain how that business runs is always going to sell for more than the business down the road that doesn't have them. And if you put them in place, one, you have a happier team, you have happier patients, you're happier, the business isn't so self-reliant on you. So there's all these positives to have systems there. So you might as well bloody do it. But I've seen a lot of people who have set a business up, had it for 20, 25 years, and end up closing it because no one wants to buy it. Because it's just, it's so reliant on them, there aren't things in place that actually just make it run. So when I sold my last one, the reason it sold for so much is that they wanted my systems. They wanted to know, okay, Tyson, how can you have a business that turns over what it does? You don't even work in there. You don't work. You've got other podiatrists working there and you rock up, you say hello to everyone and then you leave. You physically do not work in the place. That's why it sold for as well as what it did. And I remember a story where, I can't remember the exact person, but they were talking to, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kerry Packer. At one stage, he's the richest person in Australia. And this person that was talking at this event said he went to Kerry Packer and said, here's this idea that I've got. And he put it in front of him. Kerry Packer went, oh, 
you want me to go partners in me with this? He said, yeah, he goes, that is a brilliant idea. Love it. Really, really like the idea. But no, and walked away. And the guy went, hang on, you just told me that was a, he says, that was a great idea. He goes, it is a brilliant idea. And I have no doubt at all that that will work and that will make money. But how the hell do we get out of it? Where's the exit strategy? It's fine to know how to set it up, but how are we going to exit? So Kerry Packer always looked at everything that you need to have the exit in mind as you were setting it up. So a lot of people will set up a, a health business and they haven't even thought about are they going to sell this business one day or how are they going to sell it? So to me, from day dot, from the first time you open up the doors, it's how is your phone going to be answered? How are you going to dress? It's just there's so many systems that make a business function well. And I can walk into a business and I can tell a business that's got good systems and I can tell a business that doesn't. It stands out like dog's balls. It does. It's really obvious. You, you, can, you can pick a coffee shop that doesn't have systems compared to one that does. You have a look at the biggest franchise coffee shops and just the way they run and watch the way the people move and the way things are positioned and how they talk and colours and smells and sounds. And you're going to look at other coffee shops and you look at it and you go, could they duplicate that? No. Nah. You can just tell there's not much holding it together. Yeah. So I think one of the things that keeps people from investing in systems and putting systems in place is because they have this idea that as soon as you start introducing systems, it just becomes robotic and corporate and there's no personality, there's no human touch. And that's nah. not really the case. So how do you merge these two and still have that human touch with all these systems? Or how do you convince people that it's worth doing? What's interesting is systems are not there to control people. They're not there to make people robots. A system is in place so that you can get a predictable outcome. That's all it really is. It's something that it keeps everybody moving in the same direction. It stops bottlenecks. It sort of identifies what behaviour is, is not good for the business and what behaviour is good for the business. And I think people get mixed up there. And I think some business owners who actually have systems, they are like Nazis. <laughs> Everything is so regimented. There's a difference between a system and a framework and flow charts. And there's some systems that you cannot mess around with and you need to be robotic. So if you're sterilizing instruments, it is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, exactly how it's written down. If you do it the wrong way, you could kill a patient. So that system is very robotic. And if people don't like that, bugger off, you don't deserve to be in the health industry. But then there's other systems, which are more of a framework, which is like how you answer the telephone. You might say, these are the certain parts of actually making an appointment, but you let the people freestyle in each of those segments. So you might say, you're answering the phone, go, hi, pro-arch podiatry, this is Tyson. So that's how you want the phone answered. But depending on what the patient says, you can freestyle on what you say next, but then you've got to get to the next part. Are you after a morning or afternoon appointment? You're just giving the the stepping stones along the way and letting them freeze up. That is not robotic at all. That's bringing your own personality into it. So I think anybody that gets concerned that, oh, if I get systems, everyone's going to think I'm trying to control them. They, they don't need to be in your business. You need to get rid of them and get people in who understands systems are a positive, not a negative. Are there any uh, like cornerstone systems that are the first things that if you were going to set up a new podiatry practice today, that these would be the first systems that you kind of set up and got everybody's buy-in on? When I explain systems to people, I go, there's two parts. It's like A and B, and it's all got to do with the patient journey. So the first part is a patient, 
there's so many things that could happen before that patient ever sees a practitioner that can turn them off. And it's from what your website looked like to how is the phone answered to how you're greeted when you're walking through the front door. If you're responsible for your car park, is there a system in place to make sure that thing is tidy or is there a, like a dead rat in the, in the middle of the car park that they're driving past? Then they come to the front of your building and there's all these cigarette butts at the door and they're going, oh, geez. Then they walk in and the place smells of tuna because someone in your clinic decided, yeah, it's great to heat up tuna Mornay for lunch, which is we had a rule you can't heat up tuna in the microwave. Please do not do it. So they smell that and then they go to the reception counter and the receptionist is eating a hamburger, yeah, just finishing lunch. They didn't eat it at the back, they're eating at the front counter and they've got some sauce on the front of their shirt. And you wonder why the patient will sit down sometimes and you just get this vibe that they don't want to be there. It's because they don't want to be there. So to me, the initial systems are everything leading up to the patient seeing the practitioner. Then the next lot of systems are all the things that happen once they're seeing the practitioner. But I think... The first ones, it's all about that first impression. Website, if you have an online booking system, how easy is it to use? How the person answers the phone, what do they say? Are they educated? If the patient asks a question, can they answer it? And then the whole greeting system, and do you offer coffee or do you offer water? They're all the simple systems that cost nothing to implement other than just a little bit of thinking. A lot of the systems Tyson mentioned here apply specifically to brick and mortar practices with a physical location and in-person staff members. But the same two categories of systems that he mentioned, covering everything before a client or patient makes contact with you, and then everything after they make contact, apply equally to businesses that are 100% online. Like Tyson mentioned, the purpose of systems is to create a repeatable, predictable outcome. This might mean a positive result for the people you work with, Or it might mean a steady pipeline of new leads entering your ecosystem so that you can more confidently make revenue projections and plan for the future. If you have a team working with you, systems are absolutely essential to ensuring that the quality of work you do remains high. But even if you're on your own, good systems can and will save you time, stress, and maybe most importantly, the mental strain of needing to hold all the information about how to run your business in your head. You might not believe it, but getting your processes out of your head and into a codified system really does free up brain space and allow you to bring more focus and creativity to your work. Now, there's a lot we could get into when it comes to systems. A couple of years ago, I spent nine months in a system-specific group coaching program where I spent hundreds of hours overhauling and creating the systems for my business. But for now, I want to leave you with a few pointers on getting started. First, Start out by making note of any task in your business that you or someone on your team does repeatedly. These are the tasks you want to document and build structured systems around. If most of your work is online, the easiest way to start is to use a tool like Loom to create a screen recording the next time you do a task and record it so that someone else could reference it in the future. If you're working offline, you're going to want to create a series of checklists documenting every single step of the process. The same goes for emails. The next time you find yourself writing an email response to a question you've answered before, copy and paste the finished email into a Google Doc to refer back to next time you get that same question. Start documenting all the repeat tasks you might ever need to train someone on, even if that might not be for months or years into the future, and create a searchable spreadsheet or database to organize them. You can download either the Airtable or Google Sheets version of the template I use to keep track of my systems at betterwellness.biz systems tracker. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. 
Over the past two years, I've built up my database to over 300 documented tasks, covering everything from onboarding new clients and team members to dozens of email templates covering various common interactions to documentation of processes for delivering our actual client work. Oh, and of course, I have documented systems of how to document and create systems. I told you I was a nerd, right? Documenting these systems takes time, but I'm now at a point where I can confidently hand off almost any task that happens in my business to someone who's never done it before, and they'll be able to get it 90% of the way done without any input from me. Creating a structure to hand off tasks like this is a superpower for your business, as it allows you to spend more time operating in your unique zone of genius as the CEO, doing the things that only you can do. It won't happen overnight, but set a goal of adding five new email templates or screen recordings each week and you'll get there faster than you think. The second thing I wanted to mention goes back to what Tyson was talking about when it comes to the impressions our clients and patients have before they ever even interact with us. Our websites, social media accounts, the content we post on those accounts, podcasts, blog posts, videos, and more are all places where, for better or for worse, we're giving off a first impression. After those initial touch points, we then have secondary touch points, such as our booking systems, contact forms, email autoresponder sequences, and so on. I'd suggest making a list of all the touch points that a potential client might have with you, starting with the most outward facing and then working inward. Then work through your list and ask yourself, touch point by touch point, what signal is this sending to someone who's interacting with me for the first time? The great thing about doing this exercise is that by spending the time to create or hone these systems once, you can positively impact the experience for everyone who comes into contact with you in the future. Oftentimes, small improvements at each touch point compound into a significant increase in leads, clients, and customers. If you're listening to the show, I'm guessing you'd love to have more people following you online. And one of the best ways to grow your audience online is by guesting on podcasts. When done right, Guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your own content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. Stepping away from systems, I wanted to pick Tyson's brain about his approach to content creation. Tyson shoots multiple videos per week, produces weekly episodes of his podcast, Podiatry Legends, writes blog posts, creates social media content, has written two books, and more. In particular, I was curious about his advice on how local brick-and-mortar businesses should go about leveraging social media and content creation to help increase exposure. I always jokingly say to people when it comes to social media, so do you follow your physiotherapist? Do you follow your chiropractor? Your GP that just stuck his finger up your bum, do you follow him on Facebook? Yeah, his practice or on Instagram, and they go, oh, no. I go, well, what makes you think your patients want to follow you? <laughs> okay, so you need to come up with an angle. You need to come up with something that may or may not be related to your profession, but something that patients can connect with on an emotional level that makes them want to stay in touch with you. So if you like wine, do wine reviews. Why not do some wine reviews on Facebook? Uh, there's a dentist that I knew right into scuba diving. I said, why don't you, you go scuba diving every weekend, pop out of the water, take out your respirator and have someone in the boat with a camera, take it out, give a dental tip, whack that thing back in your mouth and dive back under again. I said, you become the scuba diving dentist. The ones that are going to do really well on those social media platforms at once, it can just take something that they love 
and bring it into what they do just to stand out from everybody else. I also think if I was opening a podiatry clinic tomorrow, number one marketing thing I'd be doing, I'd be setting up a podcast. I would have a podcast in my local area sponsored by my business talking about whatever the hell I want to talk about. So it could be talking about small business in your town. It could be a health podcast. You might do a podcast on wine, scuba diving. It could be on anything. I think if you live in the middle of a desert, I wouldn't do a scuba diving podcast. I don't think it's really going to work. But if you live on the coastline like we do here in Cairns, there's a lot of people that do scuba diving, go out in the reef or reef fishing. If you were right into reef fishing, you do a reef fishing podcast, you get a lot of people in Cairns are going to listen to it and then it's sponsored by your podiatry business and people are going to come into it. So they're the big things that I think if I was starting a business again tomorrow, definitely social media, but find your angle, podcast, and I don't think you can write too many blogs. I really just think putting out content, just put it out and put it out and just keep producing it, whether it's a 60-second video on your phone and whether you put that on your website and get it transcribed and put it up there, just produced content. I've never heard of anyone saying, yeah, no, my business failed because I, I produced too much content. People were complaining. They go online and they'd, uh, you know, they'd type in podiatrist in cans and, and I'd have the first two pages. I remember my daughter when she was about six and she said to me, oh, Daddy, didn't you say you, know, it's, you should share? And I went, yeah, why? She went, well, I think it's unfair that when we look up podiatrists in cans, that that whole first page, you have it all. Nobody else can get on there. And then you go to the next page and you have most of that. Shouldn't you let them get on the first page? And I went, do you like the house we live in? She went, yeah. I said, they get on the first page, we don't have this house. She went, oh, don't worry about them then. So <laughs> so it's, I reckon just it, content, but good content. Don't just produce crap. Answer the questions that people are searching for. Answer those questions, put as much of it out there as you can and people will find you. I mentioned before that Tyson shoots multiple videos per week for his business. He built up that habit a couple of years ago when he undertook what he called the 365-hour mental and physical challenge. It was actually through this challenge that we first connected, but I was far from the only new connection he made. I'll let him explain. So I just turned 50. It was uh, 2016, and my dad died at 49. So I had a heart attack. So it was always in the back of my mind that, yeah, it could happen to me. But also I thought, oh, I've got to start doing some exercise. So I thought oh, I might go for a walk every day, you know, just you know, go for an hour walk. And then I, and I was just starting to listen to podcasts and a podcast that I'd listened to, was, it was Gary, I'm pretty sure it was Gary V. I tell everyone it was Gary V, so I'm going to stick with that story. And he said something about if your life is worth living, it's worth recording. He gave an example of two grandparents or great-grandparents that he had, one who had a journal that documented every single day of his life, just documented something in there. Another grandparent who documented nothing. And he reckons when they both died, he couldn't tell you anything about the other grandparent, nothing. But the other one, he found his journals and he read them. What his grandfather was thinking when he was 17 and then when he was 20, and he documented and journaled his whole life. So Gary said, sounds like we're on a first name basis now, so Gary said, if life is worth living, you should start recording it. And I went, oh, okay, so I might go for a walk, I'm going to listen to a podcast, and I'm going to record my thoughts my thinking on that particular podcast. And then I told a friend and he went, you selfish bastard. I went, what? He goes, so you're going to listen to a podcast, you're going to take away some great notes, you're going to do a video and then you're going to keep it to yourself. I went, yeah. 
went, why don't you share it with other people? I went, like who? Who is going to want to listen to my review of a podcast? Well, so be it. Thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people wanted to listen <laughs> to my my rantings on, and they were like 60 and 90 second, you know, sometimes two minute quick reviews on podcasts. So I walked an hour a day, every day for 365 days, regardless of where I was in the world. I walked in Arizona. I came across a rattlesnake and a bobcat having a fight. I walked in snow in Japan. I walked through Asia. It just happened to be one of those years I had so many trips planned and conferences I was going to. And then I was into about 50 and then I accidentally tagged somebody in one of the videos and they sent me a message and went, oh, thanks for that. That's awesome. I can't believe you listened to my podcast. And I went, oh, shit. Never thought about tagging the actual hosts. So I started tagging the hosts and then I started tagging the guests. And then all of a sudden on one they listened, I tagged Tim Ferriss. Next thing, Tim Ferriss shares it. And that one went through the roof. <laughs> that one just really took off. And I, you know, I'd gone to bed that night. Usually I wake up the next day and there might have been 50 or 100 views. Now I go to bed and it's like, you know, 1,800. I went, what the hell happened there? Oh, Tim shared it. Thanks, Tim. And I've got a friend, Dave Freeze, one of the smartest people in the world that I know. And, yeah, he just said, don't just always listen to what it is that you're used to listening to. Actually start listening to things way outside your comfort zone. You'll be surprised what you learn. So I started listening to Glam Nation, which was a women's fashion podcast. I learned some really cool tips about how to use your dishwasher, which was really good. Then I came across this silly ice cream podcast. My God, who does a podcast on ice cream? And that was you. And that's sort of how we met online through that. And then it was through that we met at Podcast Movement. And then you had an ice cream crawl going on through Philadelphia, which I've never felt so ill I was in the fetal position on my bed. I ate so much ice cream that, that afternoon. Plus, being lactose intolerant <laughs> is never a good thing. The whole 365-hour challenge, it pushed me out of my comfort zone. It was something that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But I met so many people from it. And even the quote that's on the wall here, yeah, the next connection you make could be the one that changes your life. That's what I found doing the 365-hour mental and physical challenge was purely... It changed my life doing it. I met so many people, yourself, hundreds of people around the world. A lot of them were on my other podcasts as guests. But through that, just other connections through podiatry and some of these people just become really good friends. And some people I've still, I've still never met, but we chat to each other all the time. So often we create content online for the sole purpose of building an audience. But as Tyson experienced, one of the great benefits of producing and sharing content online is how it connects us to other like-minded people who are interested in the same things we are. I'm so grateful to Tyson for coming on and sharing his expertise when it comes to both systems and content creation. And I hope you took something away that you can apply in your business today. For this week's question, I'd love to know what's the most repetitive task in your business that you don't yet have a system for? And what's holding you back from documenting it and handing it off? You can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice and leave me a voice message that I'd love to feature on an upcoming episode of the podcast. You can find out more about Tyson at tysonfranklin.com, where you can find links to his books, the Podiatry Legends podcast, and everything else he's got going on. Or look him up on Facebook at Tyson E. Franklin. You can find all those links and more, including the template to my systems tracker in the show notes for this episode. 
If you're looking to explore systems further, there are two books I'd recommend starting with that have been hugely influential to me. The first is called Built to Sell by John Warlow, and the second is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. Again, you can find the links to both of these books in the show notes. In next week's episode, I'll be chatting with Tasha Booth of The Launch Guild about all things outsourcing, hiring, and growing your team. I've worked with Tasha over the past six or nine months, and the transformation that she and her team have brought to my business has been incredible. I really can't wait to share this episode with you. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with the video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work, keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. To you listening, thank you so much for spending this time with me, as always, and until next time, keep building better. Keep building better.